0: Well, good morning. First Timothy, chapter, or Second Timothy, rather, chapter one. All right, let's pray. Father, we sure love you. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for a perfect Bible. Father, I pray that you now bless your word. and Father, we ask that you bless your word wherever it's being preached across this country, using the King James Bible. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, we uh, didn't get very far last Sunday school, which is fine, but we're going through uh, verse 7 here, and the Bible says here in 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 7, he says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so we've covered what the, a little bit about the spirit of power. we covered a little bit about the spirit of love. And uh, so next we've been given a sound mind. And uh, I guess you can ask yourself, what in the world is a sound mind? And uh, one preacher said, a sound mind is a, a mind that can see through the phonies. And one preacher said, I am phony enough to spot a phony. And that's a great saying. Uh, that's a sound mind. A, a sound mind can see through the phonies. Um, take your Bible, go to John chapter 17. Now, God's given you and I a sound mind. That's what the Bible says. And uh, one thing about a sound mind here in John seventeen seventeen. Uh, A sound mind knows the truth. You take a Christian out here, and uh, if he doesn't know where the truth is, then he's got trouble with his mind. John chapter 17, verse 17, the Lord says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You know that verse, right? That's pretty simple. Now, a sound mind, he knows the truth. Not only that... uh, Look, to, we'll turn a little bit of scripture today. Look at 2 Timothy, uh, chapter 2 and verse 15. A uh, sound mind uh, uh, knows how to rightly divide. A sound mind knows how to rightly divide. Bible says in uh, 2 Timothy 2:15. 2 Uh, just one chapter over. It says, uh, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And God's given you a sound mind, and that sound mind is going to know how to rightly divide the truth. And then let me give you this one. uh, uh, The sound mind, it knows how to separate genuine things from phony things. Knows how to separate genuine from phony. When I first started sitting under Bible-believing preaching, Bible-believing preaching, uh, I called it red flags in my life. And all of a sudden, there was like a red flag that would go up and someone would say something that wasn't right or did something that was out of character or something like that. You say, well, that's your count. Help yourself. But uh, a sound mind that God's given you knows how to separate genuine from phony. And you say, well, how can you uh, tell the genuine? Go to 2 Corinthians. Take your Bible go to the book of 2 Corinthians. I'll show you this. I'd be 1 Corinthians, rather. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now, if the Word is truth, amen, Amen. and uh, if the Word of God is truth, and you have a copy in your lap, the King James Bible, how in the world are you going to know how to separate the genuine from things that are not genuine, things that are phony. Well, you see here in 1 Corinthians 2.13, the Bible says, Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. You see that? If you want to know what's genuine, you're going to have to get in the book, and you're going to have to compare spiritual things with spiritual. Now listen, I'm speaking to saved individuals here this morning. So there's a tendency to always lean on what you always know. And uh, no doubt the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. But you, you can't stop searching that scripture. You can't stop searching that book. Just because you think, well, I grew up in it, and I did this, and I did that. And uh, well, you have to learn how to rightly divide. And the uh, sound mind knows how to separate the genuine from the phony. Well, how can you tell things that are phony? We'll go to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. That's the sound mind that you've been given. 16 18. Bible says, "For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. You see that? You know it's often not as phony, Good words. Good words and fair speeches. Someone always trying to please the crowd. Someone always preaching uh, Christian psychiatry. Christian psychiatry. Now listen, anything that the psychological world ever got right, they got right because of the Bible. They got right because of the wisdom books, amen? That'd be Psalms, Proverbs, that'd be Job, Psalms, Proverbs, uh, so forth and so on. But uh, good words and fair speeches usually highlight things that are phony that's why your politicians they're glowing orators back in 2000 what was it eight barack obama came in was elected president and he was a great orator you say what you want if you didn't like him i don't care he was a great orator. he knew how to speak he knew how to say good words and fair speeches he was a community organizer he say i thought he was the devil help yourself he spoke better than most of y'all did he knew what to say at the right place. He had fair speeches. He promised this, that, and the other, and didn't matter because he was such a good speaker. He could he could have been the Antichrist and it wouldn't have mattered. Then you got the next guy that came up. Not very good speaker, was he? <laughs> I, I didn't say you didn't like the guy. You know, he would just if he didn't like you, he would swear at you, right? You know, he'd tell you how it is. He wasn't a good speaker. <laughs> okay, so you love him and you fly a flag and you're, I don't even care. But, the, but uh, phony things, uh, according to the Word of God, uh, are things that are people that have agendas that don't serve the Lord at all. They serve themselves. Uh, that's a sound mind. And uh, now listen, there's only one way to keep your mind sound in this world. That's it. Only one way. And I say that because you and I are living in a, in a world that is against God. You know that. But you've got to remind yourself of that because a lot of times you get discouraged and disgusted because you're continually trying to make sense out of a world that makes zero sense at all. You're looking at situations and things that have gone sideways and go, that doesn't make any sense. You're absolutely right because you're living in a world that's against God. All right? Take your Bible, go to Isaiah 26. I want to help you this morning if I can. Isaiah chapter 26. I'm not here just to fill your head with a bunch of stuff. I want to try to help. There's only one way to keep your mind sound. And think about it like this. Somebody that doesn't have a sound mind, they are insane, right? They have a problem with sanity. They have a problem with thoughts, right? Um, it's kind of like that fellow that went and visited uh, an institution a long time ago, about 20 years back, and uh, and he walked in there and he sat down in the room and there was a perfectly normal-looking person sitting in what they would consider the waiting room, and he sat there and he's going to go visit somebody, family member or something. We'd call it a nut house, you know, and uh, and all of a sudden this a perfectly normal person uh, stood up and goes, "He's crazy." He's crazy. He's crazy. And they had to get the orderly out. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, when you have a problem with your mind, you're insane. And if you're not careful as a Christian, you'll struggle with insanity if you don't keep that sound mind. You have a problem with your thoughts. You'll have a problem with your morals. Listen, if you have a problem with your morals, you are not utilizing the sound mind that God gave you. Look at verse 3, Isaiah 26, 3. The Bible says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. See that? The best way to keep your mind sound is to keep your mind stayed on God. And you got to keep thinking about God. And if you're going to think about God, you just can't think, it's like, oh, I'm thinking about God today, you know. You have to keep your mind and you have to keep your eyes in the Word of God. You have to, when you get out of the Word of God, your mind begins to do things that aren't right. Check yourself out. The next time you stray away from reading the book like you know you should, no one has to tell you that. And the next time you get out of the Word, your mind begins to do things that are not right. Now look at uh, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7. Remember now, your mind is stayed on God, right? Uh, he'll keep your mind in a state of something. Uh, but look what God will do when you keep your mind stayed on Him. Uh, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7, the Bible says, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. All right, so you keep your mind stayed on God, you keep in the book, you keep reading the book, You keep thinking about God, and you don't worry about things. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, go down to verse (laughs) 8. There it is. Paul tells you what to think about. He says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. And you consider Christianity today and the day and age you and I live in, the problem is with our minds. And when you're not stayed on God, you're not thinking about God, you're everything seems to be against you. I tell you, window, window time and windshield time can be some of the most ridiculous things against you. Long periods of silence, long period of time where you're not uh, doing something. It seems to be against you. I used to drive truck and now I tell you what, I'd start the day out in fellowship with the Lord. By the end of the day everybody hated my guts. You say, why? Uh, you're a little hypersensitive? Maybe. <laughs> uh, what happened? Well, all that time alone, and you, you let your mind, right? Don't let your mind go wandering. And all of a sudden, the devil's like, I'll fix your wagon buster. And you start thinking about something some Christian said that was dumb, right? Maybe some Christian said something off the cuff or something out of character. They're under pressure. Or maybe they're just a jerk and just said something rude. You ever done that to your spouse? No? Okay, never? Amen. You just say something just rude and you just don't have enough guts to go get it right? Well, that person begins to dwell about it and think about it. And if you're not thinking about these things here in verse 8 and Isaiah 26, 3, next thing you know, you start losing your mind. You let the devil come between you and the brethren. You let the devil come between you and your spouse. You'll let the devil come between you and your preacher, and it's a mind thing. and when your mind is thinking about God, uh, that's what you're thinking about. When you're thinking about you, you don't have the peace. Think about that. <laughs> if you're always thinking about you, your flesh and how to get this and how to get that and how to do this and how to you know mastermind that and how to plan that and how to go here and how to accomplish that, you, you just you're not at peace. But it's when your mind, you have a sound mind, and you think about the Lord, and your mind's staying up. God can help us with that mind. Well, say, ask the question, where did this mind come from? You ever stop and think about that? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. Where in the world did this mind come from? Well, I think you know, it's easy to forget, but you have the mind of Christ. Now, I'm not talking about this omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient mind that knows everything and is everywhere, but you have been given the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16, the Bible says, For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. All right? We have God in us. You say, what is that? Well, that's Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's Colossians 1.27. We have God in us. We have the mind of Christ. And uh, when our mind is stayed on God, you are in perfect peace. You say, that means i got to think about God all the time? Yeah, isn't that a terrible thing? (laughs) Really. And the best way to do that is to get that book in your eyelids when you wake up and put it in your eyelids before you go to bed or put it in your ears or something like that. Yeah, put it in your ear, amen? And uh, you know what I'm saying? When our mind is stayed on God, you're in perfect peace. Now, there's something happens to a man, there's something happens to a man whose mind is stayed on God. There are some fruits of that thing. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. There are some fruits of a man whose mind is stayed on God. You got 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, look at verse 2. If your mind is constantly stayed on God and you keep it off yourself, I know that's a hard thing. Look what he says here, Paul says, 2 Thessalonians 2, 2, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled either by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us that the day of Christ is at hand. So a person has his mind sound in the word of God, you know what? He's not easily shaken, not easily shaken. I understand some of that comes with experience, but it's going to come primarily from being in the word of God. Not easily shaken. Not tossed to and fro by things. I would say now, this is the ninth year of being a pastor, uh, almost almost nothing surprises me with people. Um, Yeah, almost. I say almost because invariably there will be something that just blows my doors off. Amen. And you probably thought the same thing. Uh, I remember there's there's periods of time in your life where you notice where you grow up and uh it's going to sound real goofy and funny, but for me, when I was married it was uh i realized began to realize how dark a place the world was when Princess Diana died. You say that's weird, I know, but certain things mark you, mark your life where you notice that things aren't all that they seem to be, and all of a sudden what did she die ninety eight ninety seven Something like that. And, you know, another another, uh, another road marker for me personally was 9-11. I'm like, whoa, that's a bad place. You see, when you're young, everything is bright and beautiful and full of energy. And next thing you know, this world's a stinking hole, man. That's all it is. Ain't no good. I'm ready to get out of this joint. But uh, if your mind has stayed on God because you've been given a sound mind, it's the mind of Christ, One thing is a benefit is you're not easily shaken as a Christian. And I guess that gives account for a lot of Christians these days that are all shook up, like old Elvis the Pelvis would sing about, and they get shook up about everything. Uh, uh, He's not tossed to and fro by things. He knows what he believes. Amen? That's the mind of Christ. He knows what God said. He's not shaken, and that takes time to get it. It takes time to develop that. And look just because God said it doesn't mean that you and I believe it. Amen. <laughs> you have actually have to grab a hold of that thing. All this stuff is just facts, figures and references and you know measurements and instances and dates and words and phrases until you actually get out there and grab a hold of it. Now, that's why your smartphone Uh, has uh, half a million apps on it because whatever it is they're trying to sell you, they want you to be able to apply it somehow. And that's what you have to do with the Word of God. You have to grab a hold of it and you have to look for a way to apply it. All right, something else about a sound mind. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, if you have a sound mind, these are some benefits to having that sound mind. You're not easily shaken. That's a blessing. Uh, I desire Christians... uh, of the stature of uh, Paul the Apostle, stature of Billy Sunday and Bob Jones Sr., you say we well, have a high standard. Well, how about the standard of Jesus Christ? Is that high enough? Problem with a lot of Christians is their standard's not high enough. But here is the thing: uh, look at one Corinthians chapter eight, verse one. Now you can evaluate yourself as we go through this, and you might say, "Well, preacher, I've got a sound mind. That's good." But you got to remember that sound mind is a mind that stayed upon the Lord. And the reason I give you this one is because this is one is a trouble with Bible believers. This thing is a trouble with Bible believers. And Bible believers get this thing confused uh, as being spiritual. And if you're a Bible believer, which I am and I'm not ashamed of it, you're going to have to watch out for this thing. But a sound mind in 1 Corinthians 8.1, it's not puffed up. The Bible says, Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. You see that? Knowledge puffeth up. You realize that within your brain, that the more you know, the bigger your stinking head gets. Sometimes that's a danger. Uh, you say, "Well, that fellow—he's boy—he's spiritual. He got a sound mind. No, he needs to go and get a bigger hat every time he goes to the store." But he's walking around with a head so big, there's no room in the car for you to sit next to him. Amen? Uh, When your mind is puffed up, you don't have a sound mind. Now, here I say this, and uh, I'll just let it fly. I don't care. When I teach you about the seven baptisms as I have, and the seven judgments, and the seven mysteries, and so forth, and all a bunch of other sevens, I'm sure somewhere, some Christian person... (laughs) As thought that's just a bunch of garbage. But I don't teach that stuff so you can get a big head about yourself. I don't teach that so you can say, well, we know more than the Baptist boneheads in town. <laughs> now, that might be true, but that's not why we teach it. We teach it so you're sound in your doctrine, sound in your faith, and you're able to have fellowship with the Lord because you're continually growing in grace, in grace first and then knowledge. But we don't teach that stuff because nobody else is teaching it you realize some people, their ministry in church is doing just what nobody else was doing? You're starting to think about some of these local politicians around here. I'm this. I'm the commissioner. I'm the, I'm the chief of this party. And Yeah, it's just because no one else will do it. <laughs> I mean, just a bunch of little fish in a small pond. That's all it is. We don't do, We don't teach that stuff because nobody else does, even though very few people will teach you that. I'll give you that. Why? Because it's divisive. Uh, you'll be accused of ruckmanism. Well, I don't care what you accuse me of. If I love the Bible, then help yourself. If, if that man loved the Bible and wants me to love the Bible, and by studying the Word of God, I love the Bible, you can accuse me of being an acorn. I don't care. <laughs> but we don't teach that so you can have a bigger head. That stuff's to solidify you and shore you up. But, uh, but if you're puffed up, you know what's happening? You're trusting in your own intellect, and I'm pausing here because I found myself over the last 20 years a couple different times trusting in my own intellect. I so, Preacher, you ain't got to worry too much about it. I know you're right there, amen? And if you're prone to be intelligent, you better watch it. You better watch it. You better watch it. You don't start trusting your intellect, and it means you're puffed up. Now that's how the devil will take a pure thing uh, like the Bible and turn it against the believer. You realize the, the devil will do that to you, he'll take your own Bible that you love and that you cherish and he'll take it and he'll turn it right against you. He surely will. All of a sudden one day uh, you'll be uh, you'll you know, you'll have trouble with your mind, right? You have trouble with your thoughts. You stop thinking about God and you start thinking about how rough you got it. And uh how bad off your situation is maybe financially or how bad off your situation is emotionally or how, nobody appreciates you like you think you should be appreciated and no one loves you like and you, here you are you know you're kind of like Jonah feeling sorry for yourself running and next thing you know you'll be insane you'll lose your mind and you'll get thinking well what does it benefit me I know about the seven baptisms I know about the seven mysteries I've been through them a hundred times These goofballs in town don't know about that. (laughs) Yeah, they don't go around acting like they know anything either. (laughs) Amen? You don't have to talk to a Christian too long to know what they know. You realize most Christians tell you everything they know within about five minutes of meeting them? After about five minutes, it's just like, okay, well, we'll catch history later, you know? (laughs) Most men, they desire to tell you everything they ever knew. And they tell in about five minutes. So if you just shut up for about five minutes, he'll, there'll be a big, and then you can say something. But we don't teach that stuff, so you've got a puffed up mind. But uh, a sound mind is not puffed up. And Like I said, some people use the Bible, and the devil will help you do it to excuse their own sin. Uh, listen, if I read this Bible and I look for things I can dispensationally justify my sin, I'm not thinking right. You, you've heard him say it before, well, we ain't under the law anymore, we're under grace. And you're like, and your point is, right, you see what I mean? If you sit down and think, well, can I, can I do this because we're under grace, you're wrong. And uh, the mind of God uh, is a mind that's not puffed up. Now, let me give you another thing. This mind, of, uh, the sound mind, it's a mind that's not easily shaken. It's a mind that is uh, not puffed up. But uh, look over to Colossians chapter 2. It's a mind of wisdom. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 3. It's a mind of wisdom. Squeak, squeak, squeak. Colossians chapter (coughs) 2. Bible says in Colossians chapter 2 verse 2 that their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now you got to remember that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So the mind of God that we have that he gives us and the sound mind that he gives us that's the spirit of wisdom you say well what is wisdom that's a great question ain't it what is wisdom you know knowledge is being able to take something apart amen knowledge is being able to take something apart but wisdom is knowing how to put it back together you say knowledge you say explain that okay uh you have some of you have knowledge of the world right and what did it do what did you do with it it took your life apart But uh, you messed up and you had knowledge and you got to do it. But once you got right with God, then he gave you the spirit of wisdom and you put your life back together. That's the difference. Knowledge, uh, you take things apart. Wisdom, uh, you put things back together. There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. And you haven't got that sound mind until you get straightened out with God. So think think about it. How is it that before you got saved that uh, you would do things that didn't bother you? Or how is it that when you're out of fellowship with the Lord, you can go do things that and they should bother you, but they don't? That's a lack of wisdom. And now when you do it and you're right with the Lord, it bothers you. That's wisdom. That's the spirit of wisdom. And uh, that's, that's the mind. So that sound mind, it has wisdom. And finally here in Titus chapter 1, a sound mind is not defiled. Titus 1.15. It's not defiled. And that's what you're dealing with in 2023. You're dealing with a multitude of Christians, many Bible-believing Christians. They've defiled their mind. They've defiled their conscience. At Titus chapter 1, verse 15, the Bible says, Under the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. Uh, somebody says, uh, you've heard him say before, somebody says, I I do this and I feel absolutely terrible when I do it. Well, that's a good conscience. That's a good mind. Amen? That conscience has not been defiled with a hot iron. I know you know this, but when you sin, it ought to bug you. It ought to bug the fire out of you to the point that like immediately after committing that sin, you said, I need to go find a place to get this thing right. Not like, you know, play poker face and I don't do anything wrong. That you, Then you're burning your conscience up is what you're doing. And then you got the other side of that coin, and some fellow will sin or he'll do something wicked, and he'll say, a Christian will say, well, I don't have convictions about that. <laughs> really? Really? You know what that is? That's a defiled mind. You're insane. Well, I just don't feel it's wrong to do that. Oh, okay, man. Your conscience shot. Your mind is shot. You better thank God you have a sound mind that when you do something you feel bad about it. Do you feel bad when you sin? I know I do, my goodness. Uh, some idiot will say, well, you have a guilt complex. No, that's the Spirit of God. That's the Spirit of God. You better thank God for guilt. And uh, then you, when you do something and don't feel bad, you better pray and ask God to give that conviction back. I don't know if you've ever been there, and if you haven't, praise the Lord, but, man, there have been a time or two in my life I, I caught myself not feeling bad about things. I'm like, whoa, did I step over the line or what? And I'm like, Lord, man, you better bring them tears back. Generally, I'm a pretty sensitive guy. but Every now and then I'll dry up like in the Sahara Desert, and I'll be like, God, where did my tears go? And like, I don't know, you tell me you turned the faucet off but that uh, that mind is not a it's not a defiled mind you got to be careful if you go to a psychiatrist uh, certain ones will tell you that you have a guilt complex and you have to stop associating with things stop reading things that make you feel guilty so if you listen to that that means you got to stop reading the bible and you stop reading the bible and you're in trouble so you got to be careful you got to be careful Cursed be the man that can sin and not feel sorry for it. But God has not given us the spirit of fear. Look back Second 2 Timothy chapter 1 there. Try to, try to make some ground here. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7. We looked at it. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power. We looked at the spirit of power and of love. We looked at the spirit of love and of a sound mind. And we just walked through that thing. So when you fear, you have to remember it's not of God. Now look here at verse 8. He says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the affliction of the gospel according to the power of God. Paul says, uh, Be not ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner. That's a strange thing, isn't it? Paul says he's a prisoner of the Lord, but yet he's in a Roman jail. Uh, He's Rome's prisoner, but he doesn't say he's Rome's prisoner. He says he's the Lord's prisoner. Uh Paul's thrown in jail for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when he gets there, he's not mad at Rome. You don't ever see it in his letters that he's mad at the jailers, he's mad at the governor, he's mad at the uh, emperor. He just, he's just like, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> Paul says, I'm here because God wants me here. That's what you get out of that. I'm here so God can get glory out of me being in jail. I don't know, uh, some of y'all are going through some stuff right now. Do you see things that way? Do you see that you're in the position you're in so God can get glory out of where you're at? That's something to think about. You say, what is Paul doing? He's applying the power. He knows how to apply God's power. Look at Romans chapter 8. Paul knows how to apply the spirit of power. You see that? When you get in situations that you don't want to be, that you don't like, that you're not comfortable with, you have to learn how to apply of the spirit of power. And the only way sometimes you and I can apply the spirit of power is by leaning on that book, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Uh, And Paul knows how to apply the spirit of power to get him through the afflictions that he's going through so God can get the glory. God can get the glory. And this is the verse you have to apply many times for power. I want you to listen. You're going to have to apply this verse in your life practically and believe it to apply the power Bible says we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose so Paul has the spirit of power just like you you got the same spirit Bible says in the book of Colossians he has given us his holy spirit that's the same spirit and the spirit of power gets Paul through the afflictions so let me ask you this question what in the world are the afflictions for? You ever think about that? Well, it's right in front of you. Look at 29. Romans eight twenty-nine. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So those afflictions that Paul went through and those afflictions that you're going through, uh, along with the power to get through the afflictions, are to make you more like Jesus Christ. That's what it is someone says, man, I'm really going through it. I'm having a rough time. I'm having a rough go. Praise God. <laughs> you say, that's ridiculous, is it? you got to apply the spirit of power to it. God wants you to be more like his son. Let me, let, let me show you this. Look at Hebrews chapter 5. You can't forget this. You can't forget this. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8. <clears throat> Bible says in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8, Though he were a son. Yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. All right? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ had to suffer. And suffering brings learning, and it helps you obey. So the next time you have a little pit stop, any y'all ever have a pit stop around the road of life? I mean, you're going that direction, and you are just certain that that's the road you're on, and that's the direction. And man, it's like the yellow brick road, and everything's paved and shiny, and... There goes a pit stop, and you're like, what in tarnation just happened? You know what it is? It's the Lord wanting to conform you and make you more like his son. That's what it is. And if you apply the spirit of power, if you apply that spirit of power, it will help God get the glory. You've got to realize there's never a power shortage. So if you go through the pit stop and you don't have God's power, it's not because he don't have it. It's because you're not asking for it. You got to listen. If you don't have the power of God, you got to ask for it. Remember, you know, why we run powerless lives, we don't get plugged in. Lord's like, I got all the power in the world 440. Man, (laughs) that's the greatest ministry in the world. It's a 440 ministry, right? But that's it. Spurgeon said, I think it was Spurgeon. Spurgeon said a long time ago, it was a London Tabernacle. Church and he was giving a tour of the place, and I had to have been on a Sunday, I don't know. And uh, he showed the great, uh, the great sanctuary and the great balconies and different rooms. And I believe the story goes, Spurgeon said, "Would you like to see our power room?" Power room, 1900s, whatever. Okay, okay. Well, you know, this guy's probably thinking you can see a bunch of, you know, furnaces, coal furnaces or wood, for whatever, down there. And he opens up the side room. There's over a hundred men on their knees praying. That's the power. That's the you want power. Well, then you have to drop. You're gonna to have to ask for it. There's never a power shortage, because when you got saved, He gave you not the spirit of fear, amen, but a power and of love and a sound mind. Is that good? It's just like the Lord. All right, verse nine, Second Timothy one nine, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works. Remember that but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So God called us in the sense of over in Colossians chapter 1, verse 26, but he didn't call us according to our works. Now, that's an interesting thing, amen? Now, we claim to be Bible-believing Baptists, and we know that it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, amen? And uh, we know that uh, we're not saved by works, right? But then why is it when a man gets saved many times he tries to keep his salvation by works? And all of a sudden preachers like to get up and preach that if you're not doing this, doing that, and doing this, and doing that, and doing this, and doing that, then you're not, right? That's Calvinism is what that is. If you did absolutely nothing to get saved, how could you do anything to stay saved? If good works can't save you, how could bad works unsave you? If good works doesn't save you, then how could a lack of good works prevent you from saying so? You see what I mean? That's crazy. Salvation is not according to works. You say, well, what it is according to? Well, right in the verse, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Salvation is not according to works. It never has been for us. But salvation is according to the plan of God. So you say, well... Well, what's the plan of God? That thing was before the foundation of the world that Jesus Christ would come and pay the sin debt for you and I. That's not Calvinism. Before the foundation of the world, that plan was given in accordance between the Father and the Son that Jesus Christ would come and He would die for the sins of everyone and those who would receive God's Son would receive eternal life. And that was God's plan. All right, <clears throat> when we receive Christ, I know you know this, but we're in him. That's John 1.12. But as many as received him to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. And so that calling of God is whosoever will, let him come. Let him come. It's not Calvinism because Christ has called all to salvation. <clears throat> but here's the thing. Not everyone will go through the door. The book of John, the Bible says, Jesus Christ says, I am the door. But you gotta go through the door. Look at John 112. Let me try to show you this. I'm gonna preach about it a little bit this morning, too. Maybe. John 112. You know what a Calvinist says? A Calvinist says, uh, total depravity. You know what they really believe? A true, stupid Calvinist believes that total depravity means total inability. Total inability. All right. But notice this that's how stupid a Calvinist is. You say, why do you say that? Because they're stupid. They're so smart, they, they're stupid. <clears throat> I think I said that about four times. That's probably enough. Look at verse 12. <laughs> stupid Calvinist. Bible says verse 12, But as many as received him, to them gave he power. Now what does that say? But as many as what? So does that verse just say that you can receive him? It does, doesn't it? So then the Calvinists are so stupid. There it is again. They go to verse 13. They say, which were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And they say this, uh, you can't will yourself to be saved. Uh, you can't receive him. Hold the fo- hold the phone. <laughs> hold the phone. <fork. laughs> he just said in verse 12, you could receive him. But here's the thing. See, your mind is you can make the choice. And once you make the choice, it's like you're going to find in Joshua 3. I'll have to give you just a little bit of an advantage. You know what Joshua told the priests? You go step in the river, right? And once you step in the river, you know what you got to do? You stand still. They had to step in the river, and then they had to stand still and do nothing. So when you get saved, you receive him and you choose him, right? You receive him. But then as soon as you say, I receive him, he does all the work. That's what it is. Only a Calvinist is stupid enough to get that thing messed up, and uh, but you can't. You 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 got to go through the door. And when you receive him, you go through that door. And here's the thing: you can't see what you got until you go through the door. Uh, you can't go around the door. You can't go above the door. You can't go under the door. <laughs> you got to go through the door. And the door is Christ. He paid the sin for the whole world. Look at verse 10. <clears throat> the Bible says, But now is made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. We're going to stop right there in verse 10. We'll pick this thing up next week.